Hey guys, welcome to episode 13 of The Last Picture Hose. My name is Emma Beatty. And I'm Lily Stuklin. And we have a very, very special podcast for you today. We are calling it the women <laughs> episode, but when I say women, I need you to imagine Saoirse Ronan in Little Women saying women like with her hands in the air. That's the name of the episode. I would like to, maybe I'll just edit in that to get the effect across because yes. I don't, yes. you kind of yodel, you're like women, which I appreciate. But That's not really how she delivers the line. But it's like, kind of, it's more like a women, women, <laughs> like women. Yeah. But yeah. here we just feel very passionately about women, women, <laughs> women. And this originally was going to be a joint episode of Promising Young Woman and Pieces of a Woman, but I really just don't think that Emma or myself is in the proper headspace to go watch Vanessa Kirby be devastated for two hours. So no. instead, we're going to focus on Carrie Mulligan being batshit crazy for two hours instead, and uh, I'm okay with that. Yeah, me too. Before we get into it, um, we have to do our quick question. So, Lily... Want to introduce our very special quick question? Yeah, so we are recording this on uh, the 22nd of January. It is a Bachelor Monday for all you Batch fans out there, which should be pretty much every single one of our listeners. I think there's infinite crossover potential with our audience here. Lily, it's not the 22nd. Shit! It is not the 22nd. <laughs> the days have started to blur here uh, in month 10 I'm looking quarantine. On my, I'm looking at my... <laughs> our notes here say, air this episode by the 22nd, which, Jesus Christ. Hey, that's an honest mistake, but I just wanted to make sure you knew that it was not in fact no, the 22nd. Thank you. thank you for always looking we out always, for me. We always gotta, like, check those dates. Regardless of the date, it is still Bachelor Monday. That is what I know that for a fact. That is a fact, fact. That's yes. actually how I measure my dates now. It's just, it's Bachelor yeah, Monday. Yeah, that's all. That's it doesn't right. matter what the date is specific specifically is but since it is what's your hottest take of this season because I feel like well obviously this is the second bachelor bachelorette universe uh season that we are doing in quarantine so obviously Mm. it's going to be a little different than Mm -hmm. usual but what are we how we feeling so far um my hottest take of the season is that while I do enjoy Matt James I am afraid he is a republican I feel like that's not that hot of a take. Like, that there, I feel like, is substantial evidence that that is... Yeah, I just feel... <laughs> an undisputable fact. Maybe my hot take is that, like, that's a problem for me. Like, I don't... Yes. It is, like, very hard in this, in this, in this economy <laughs> to watch Republicans find love. I don't know. There's also just a lot of, like, God on this season. There's a lot of there praying. A lot of, There's yeah. a lot of, like, I want to find, you know... And I'm like, you know what? Like, not everyone is a Christian. I don't know. I, I hate to break it to you, ABC, but, like, that's not... No, I think we were... My roommates and I were actually discussing this last week. We were like, we never actually hear them talk about um, politics in the show. And, like, mm-hmm. you know that has to come up. Because, like, if yes. you have an ounce of a brain cell, like, that is a very... Which, questionable for some of these people. True. <laughs> but, like, that's obviously, like, a very important thing to discuss in a relationship with someone, especially someone you were going to consider marrying, and they never say it once. And so we kind of deduced, we're like, okay, they're definitely talking about it, and ABC is just like, half of this demographic is like Midwestern Republican moms, Mm -hmm. and they don't want to alienate their audiences, which like, I get it, smart, you're doing your due diligence, ABC, but like, I know it's happening. Yeah. 
watching it is a little it's yeah. probably just the editing but, of it but also i i appreciate the escapism yes, <laughs> that, that's true that it does offer to like not talk about that because like this is yeah. the two hours a week that i get to go numb to like the things going on outside yes. of this resort in western pennsylvania which yes. my hottest take yeah i was gonna say what's your <laughs> is that more things need to be filmed in my dear home sweet western okay, pennsylvania. that's also not a hot take that's just <laughs> lily this is not an ad for the pennsylvania board of tourism i swear to god I've never actually been... So this resort, for all of those who give a shit listening, which, no, I'm sure it's no one, um, (laughs) is, like, an hour and a half away from my home, like, where my parents live, and we have never been to... Like, this place is immaculate. And I text my parents when the, the first episode aired, and I'm like, excuse me, why have we never, like, gone on, like, a staycation to... Nima Colon Resort and Spa. Nima Colon Resort and Spa. And my mom goes out of our price range. I'm like, who the fuck is going to this? Because it's yeah. not like, it's, it's like, it, maybe it's a good enough distance away from DC, but like, ain't nobody in Pittsburgh going to ball out at Nima Colon. Like, I'm not unsure why or how this place still exists, but like, I'm sure they got a pretty penny from ABC The Bachelor Squad to take over for two months. Yeah, I really like, I'm so curious with these resorts, like, how did it work to film there? Like, did they really just, like, not have any other guests at the time? I really or? think, like, if they offer them a fat enough check, they're probably just booking the whole thing out. Because not only are you booking, yeah. like, the cast, I believe they also had backup girls. Oh, yeah, that um, makes sense. Yeah, they were like, in case anyone ever tested positive they would just basically, like, hold them up in their hotel room and bring out another one. Like, another one would just magically appear. So imagine if you were, like, that backup girl. You just got to hang out at this resort for, like, two yeah, weeks. Yeah, that's And, like, point. not even have to worry about, like, glamming yourself up to be on TV. Like, oh my where gosh. do I sign up to be a backup right. Bachelor contestant? Right. Wow. I think that is, on the first episode, there were 32 girls, but in this gallery of contestants, there were 44 girls listed. So I wonder if, mm-hmm. yeah, those are just... They, they kept the bench it's in the, the gallery. Yeah, it's, it's the B team. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, imagine being told, like, um, you're not pretty enough to be on the A team of the first 32, but you can, you know, I wait would, in the wings. I would very happily be on Ride the Bench for The Bachelor because you get all the benefits of, like, I'm sure you still get, like, the gossip and, like, the, the girl yeah, time. True. Uh, and that camaraderie minus the, like, producers, like, nagging in your ear to, like, start some shit with someone. That's very true. Mm-hmm. Good point, Lily. Good point. Uh, speaking of girls, girls and boys and all the all the bad things that come with all those people being in the same room. Yikes. Um, these transitions. Young woman. <laughs> these those transitions are. Sorry. The, the transitions get worse as the months go on. I really, my <laughs> brain is quite broken. Um, but we're really here to talk about Promising Young Woman. So that's, that's it. That's, that's the transition. That's, that's the tweet. So Promising Young Woman is the directorial debut of One Emerald Fennel, which is like the most baller name also like the most british name ever i i feel like our names pale in comparison to i'm a baby's got like a sellable ring to it we've discussed this before you've got a you've got a punchy name yeah i mean that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> um but yes it is the directorial debut of emerald fennel she i know her from um playing camilla parker bowles on the crown which she does wonderfully great casting great performance there but she also like she was a writer for Killing Eve. She probably, maybe she still, was the writer for yeah. Killing Eve. And also, I think Phoebe Waller Bridge was the showrunner for the first season, but then I think Emerald Fennel took over. So it's like 
she's really running that show now, or she was for a while. I'm not sure what the deal is now. Mm-hmm. And she also wrote this and directed this. So the, she is a woman of many talents. She really, she's she's like everywhere all of a sudden. Yeah, and I'm I'm that. very excited. I think 2020 was a great year. As shitty as it was for movies in the industry in general, I think it was a great year to showcase women in film like I think because there was a little less time and focus and energy spent on like whatever the big blockbuster thing was since none of the big blockbusters besides like Tenet and Wonder Woman technically got put out Mm -hmm. like there was a little bit more room in the conversation for these like women focused centered films which I think was really great so stars Carrie Mulligan has the the titular promising young woman Mm -hmm. got Bo Burnham and there's some other really interesting casting choices in this yeah so we have like a lot of people with really like small parts but but who make up like the ensemble of yes yes so yes so we have um like Max Greenfield plays one of the guys in the movie um Jennifer Coolidge is in this Molly Shannon she plays Carrie's friend's mother and Jennifer Coolidge plays Carrie's mother okay okay sorry I saw this movie a while ago so um and then like Christopher Mintz Plass is in this um playing another one of the dudes Laverne Cox Chris Lowell Adam Brody like we have a lot of like really really familiar faces that make up this like wonderfully cast movie and I um feel very strongly about the casting because I think part of why this movie works so well is like the whole the whole story is about how like Carrie Mulligan is out for revenge for her best friend's rape and so she you know does this if you've seen the trailer you know she like does this thing where she'll go into a bar she'll pretend to be really really hammered she'll get a guy to like take her home and then once she gets home she'll like snap out of it and like basically like be like haha I'm sober and then like kind of like give the guy a lecture about what's going on and etc yeah like a vigilante like an anti-sexual assault vigilante essentially exactly the casting here is like really really clever especially when it comes to the men you know they rely on a lot of men who as young millennials we have experience with being like the nice guy like Adam Brody is like most famous for playing Seth Cohen on the OC and like um, Chris Lowell is, you know, famous from Veronica Mars, and, like, you have a lot of guys who are who are famous for being, like, the nice guy. Um, I think, like, Bo Burnham is, is also kind of one of those people who just, like, seems really nice. So then... He's got a huggable face. Yeah, very <laughs> huggable face. So then, so then when you, like, put them in this movie and they, like, turn into the assholes or, like, the bad guys, I think it just really works to, like, subvert your expectations because... Even the nice guys can be the bad guys. And I think that's why it's it's just like so clever to me, the casting of these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it just really, really, really works. And I yeah. really liked it. And I think on top of that, kind of like the subverting your expectations with these men who you have like been conditioned to think of as like the nice guys in these movies, it's also a lot of funny people. Like mm-hmm. this movie is darkly comic in some ways and also like very dreadful. Like it, it walks a lot of like tonal shifts that I think is really interesting and daring and different for a movie like this, like released on this scale and with this cast. Um, but I think it's also funny and subverting in one way that so much of the cast is like comedians mm-hmm. or typically funny people, such as Bo Burnham, Mon- Molly Shannon, Jennifer Coolidge, Christopher Mintz. But like these are characters that, and even Max Greenfield, that always plays some sort of comedic role. And to not necessarily do that in this movie and the way that they deliver it, it makes it kind of like darkly... Yeah. And sickly, like, fun in that way. Because you're expecting one thing and then you're getting another. Whether that yeah. is, like, the comedy or if their intentions or something like that. Which yes. I think all wraps together in, like, a very, like, sickly fun, but also... I don't know how to word this. This, this movie's a lot of things. Yeah, I think 
I think we might want to talk about tone more. We're going to circle back to tone because I think that there is like... Put a pin in it. Yeah, put a pin in that because I think there's more to say there. But Lily, how did you... So you became familiar with this movie before I did. So tell me how you became familiar with it. Yeah, so I literally watched this movie for the first time yesterday. But my journey to get here has been a long and winding road. So, (laughs) So this script was on the 2018 Blacklist. And so the Blacklist is basically a collection of that year's most popular unproduced scripts. So it's like a bunch of execs kind of like vote, collectively vote, and are like, these are the best, this is the best stuff that's out there. And it might be bought already, but like just hasn't been made. Got made in 2019 was supposed to be released in April of this past year. So I had read the script, I believe, in 2019. Absolutely loved it. Was, like, geeking out. I was like, this is, like, this is before Carrie Mulligan had been attached to it. It was due to come out in April of 2020, obviously. Pandemic. But while it was ramping up, I believe the first trailer dropped maybe in January or February of last year with, like, this awesome, co- like, strings cover of Britney Spears' Toxic. This is, like, Ugh. this is, like, pre-Bridgerton doing yes. strings covers. Uh, cover of Toxic, which was, I was one of like the best cut trailers I've seen in a while. Yeah. Um, and I was obsessed and I immediately like got in contact with the Focus Features people and I was like, can you please spare a poster? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't like to hang up a lot of movie posters like in my home. I like don't, I want to have some degree of separation. I am obsessed with like the art of this poster. It's like this like juicy hand painted looking like set of lips and Carrie Mulligan's draped over it and it just looks so like 70s yes which I think kind of also like again plays into the tonal shifts of this Mm -hmm. and like what it's playing off of and what because it's very unique in all the things that it's like done and trying to do I, I don't know it's like it's taking a lot of like homages from like revenge porn like those kind of things which were really big in the 70s Mm -hmm. um yeah and again like subverts it all so I have had this poster hanging up in my house for almost a year I have read this script two years ago and finally I got to see it but Emma you saw this movie a while ago uh yeah like 10 months ago which is why I'm not being very specific with my critique of the movie because I saw it one time 10 months ago yeah so I have kind of like a weird story about this movie too So when the trailer for this came out, I was like, okay, I absolutely must see this movie. Um, So I... Women! (laughs) Women! (laughs) Women! Um, So I, like, got in touch with the people, and I, like, signed up to go to a screening. Meanwhile, (laughs) coronavirus became a thing, and this was, like, mid-March that I was supposed to go to a screening, and New York was starting to shut down. I had literally just gotten an email that day being like, hey, we're not going to go back into the office for the next two weeks, lol. So I had booked a flight home for the following morning, but I was like, you know what, I'm still going to go to the screening because I have a feeling if I don't see this movie tonight, I'm not going to see it again for a very long time. Like, honest. Yes, I was like, (laughs) you were right. The time is now. Like, I have to go see this movie or else I won't be able to see it for a long time. So this was like before we even had any kind of like guidance about wearing masks. Like, I went to this, I went to the movie's, like without a mask on the train it was crazy and my a screening I was supposed to go to the next week for Mulan had already been canceled so there was like definitely definitely shouldn't have gone to this like it was like not a great idea to go but I didn't really we didn't really know the extent of what we were dealing but with I'm at sure the time. it like draped a weird sense of like dread yes, over a movie it that itself has a lot of yes. like 
feeling of dread. Yes, in it. and let me just say that I got to the screening and there were four people total in the screening room. It was the spookiest shit ever. And I saw a person I know actually. I like she was sitting in front of me and she turned around and I was like, oh hey, how are you? And I and she was like, should we even be here right now? And I was like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> like I don't really know if we should be here. But you're right. It really like fed into the vibes of the movie because I was pretty panicky the whole time. Um, but yeah, and then the next morning I got on a flight to go home and I stayed home for six months. Yeah, that's all she wrote. That's, that's funny that that's the last thing that you saw because yeah. I have a very similar experience for, with a very similar but different movie. So the last thing I saw, and it honestly might have been like the same night. Night. Yeah. Um, I saw Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is another fantastic woman directed, led, acted centric yeah. film that came out this past year that deals with these themes in a very very different way very different very different way and same thing like I get there and this this movie also has a large sense of dread kind of draped over it especially has like a woman watching it Mm -hmm. and also there was only a few people and I remember this woman sitting maybe two rows in front of me and she let out like a very clearing cough Mm. and I just saw the shoulders of like everyone in the auditorium just tense up and like look like glaring oh my gosh yeah and I was like this is it so that that's funny that that was like we have the same story for these two movies way back then but I I I'm glad that that Promising Young Woman finally got its time in the sun. I mean, it had, so it released in theaters on Christmas Day, where theaters are, where they are, I don't know. Um, like, maybe three people in yeah. the United States were able to see that. Yeah, and this past Friday, uh, finally came out on demand across the board, so. Yeah, wow, it's been a, it is kind of weird to, like, see people talking about this movie now, because I saw it so long ago. Yeah, so I want to come back and talk about the tone in this movie, because it's, it's intense. It has that feeling of dread, but there are these like darkly comic moments, but there's also the sense of like you're getting the catharsis of her getting revenge on these men. But it all also did like she's not being the great like Cassie, the Cassie character isn't being the greatest person at the same time. So it's like how do you wrestle with all of these like feelings and the tonal shifts? And I know that like, a lot of people had some issues with it, but I think overall it was so refreshing to have something one, tackle a subject like this, and then two, do it in such a way that wasn't necessarily somber. Mm-hmm. It was angry. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is about, like, female rage, for sure, and justifiable female rage. Something that I remember texting you after I came out of the movie was, I was like, really fun, really good, take some big swings, uh, don't know if they always work. I think this movie is great, but I do think, like, the one problem I had with it is that it's, there are, like, moments where it's supposed to be funny, and then there are these really, really dark and serious moments, and I don't think it always, like, transitions super well between those Mm -hmm. I I think like there were parts of the movie that I like didn't know whether I was supposed to be taking seriously or not which I think really came at the end um which I didn't dislike and we're not going to spoil here but that's where I felt it the most I was kind of like oh I don't know how I'm supposed to be feeling about this yeah um and I'm not just not to say that it's like in a bad way I really enjoyed it but but yeah you're kind of like you do feel like you have like tonal whiplash um which I think maybe works because like the Cassie character is like on a journey that is like emotionally so unpredictable and so all over the place yeah I was about to say like not to like read too far into it because like yeah like you said it does take a lot of swings but I think like that itself kind of lends that lends itself to that actual experience like all of us has women (laughs) women 
have experienced this in some way, shape, or form, whether it's like it was our friends or us having personal stories. Like to some degree, we've pretty much all seen it or heard it or like been a part of it in some way. And it is like, do you laugh it off? Do you like approach it head on? Do you get angry? Like, like there is no like rule book written as to like how you deal with these things because these things shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. And then, so I think, yeah, that tonal whiplash is very much kind of like applicable to like shit. Like you don't know how to actually like, digest that situation if that were to happen to you yeah and Lily and I when we were chatting about this before the before recording the podcast I was saying to her that I saw a writer who wrote a piece for Elle called this a really intense meditation on survivor's guilt and I thought like survivor's guilt was a really appropriate way to put it like I hadn't thought about it that way but it is like that idea of like Cassie is the one who's left and she's left with all these feelings and she doesn't know what to do with them she doesn't know where to put them and so she she is the survivor of this thing but she can't she can't overcome like this guilt she feels and I think that's like so much of the motivation behind what we see in the movie which is really it is I don't think you see that term often applied to people who are people who have had a friend who's gone through an assault and then you know taken their own life like I, I don't know if that like that term is often used for yeah that. yeah and I think I think a problem that or not a pro- like a big discussion point that a lot of women who have seen this film had was like if this was honoring that properly mm. but I I think in a way at least in my in my opinion I think that by taking these big swings and kind of approaching it from this like cathartic angry twisted standpoint I think is bold and should be respected because obviously like to have these things talked about at all in a film is like that's step one and then to make it not palatable but like accessible yeah and like I don't want to say poppy because like you you don't want to trivialize a situation like this but like to I don't know because it's like when the shoe is on the other foot like you male-centric stories like you deal with this shit all the time and it's become normalized and it's like to to have something like this big and bold kind of be like the first in a batch of things like this coming out I think is really great and obviously like yeah it doesn't do everything perfectly but I think that it is commendable that Mm. it even tried yeah I think you know like looking back at like last year's Oscars the you know the best picture front runners like let's think about like you know Joker that's a movie about white male rage like the Irishman is about being old and being a white male with rage 1917 is about a war that started because of white men rage. Ford versus Ferrari. Men. Men. Cars. And so I think we give a lot of room for men in films to be angry. I don't think we often give that same room to women. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's why this movie has been so controversial for people is that women aren't supposed to be angry. And actually it's interesting like when you put this character kind of in line with a lot of like the um, TV characters we've seen in the last year too like um, you know, we've seen a lot of great, like, quote-unquote, like, unlikable female characters. Like, if you think about, like, I May Destroy You is another great example of that, or, like, I Hate Susie is a good example, or, like, Fleabag, even if you want to go back, like, two years. I think women are trying... Women! <laughs> women! <laughs> ...are trying to, like, carve out spaces for other women um, to be angry, because we don't often get that room. Yeah, and, like, the need... It's, it's unfortunate, because it feels... It's fortunate, and I'm so glad that they're doing that, but it feels like the knee-jerk reaction for some audiences is to be, like, 
like repellent of that. Yeah. So yeah, like yeah. you said, it's like not giving you the space, but like they are carving that space and taking that, which I I think is awesome. Yeah, I think the thing about this movie is like you can feel how you want to feel about it. I think whether you feel like the character is quote unquote right or quote unquote wrong, like I don't really think that's the point of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think the point is like to I don't know to think critically about like why you maybe feel the way you do about it. Yeah, and how she's in this situation in the first place, and it's not, like, she is taking it into her own hands, and in an empowered way, I guess, I mean, like, that's, I think, part of, like, the point of the movie is to, like, make you question that, but, like, the fact that she had to be put in this situation in the first place was because something that was so out of her hands, that Mm -hmm. was started by white male rage. (laughs) White male rage. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, and I I think so many things in this movie kind of add to that, like, like, the soundtrack, the production design, the color choices, it's very, like, weird. It's it's off-kilter, like, ever so slightly. Yes, like yes. It, it's I believe it takes place in Ohio or something, but it's very every-town USA mm-hmm. vibes. Like, the color choices, the it, it's almost like this could be 2008, this could mm-hmm. be now. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's, like, a universal quality to kind of this, this production design, and it, it's neat because... The characters almost like the way that they they dress and everything embodies very typical gender roles. Mm -hmm. So Bo Burnham's character is always wearing blue. Mm -hmm. Always. And Cassie, Carrie Mulligan's character, is always wearing like floral prints, something like a little feminine. She's got like candy colored nail polish all the time, um, which I think is a very interesting, like, once again, making you like subvert your expectations because you're so used to like... He is the good guy. He Mm -hmm. is always wearing baby blue. She is always wearing like baby pink. It's a very like... Yeah, and I noticed, like, the clothes, too, they're very normal. She, Cassie in particular, is dressed in a way that is, like, by no means, like, fancy. Like, she looks like your average, like, run-of-the-mill girl who could have gone to high school with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know exactly, like, who designed the particular pieces used in the film, but they are definitely not supposed to be flashy. Like, yeah. she is supposed to look like an average girl. Yeah, and I think that that lends very well to the to the movie because it is, like, whether that's survivor's guilt or, like, it could happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. Like, you as a woman, like, you don't have to be, like, like the bombshell top of the class, like, yeah. person for this to happen to you or to, like, feel valid in your emotions about a situation like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I ugh, this this movie has like so much to say and I think it does it in varying degrees of success, but I think like you said the the way that we're talking about it is I think half the point. It provokes a lot of feelings. People <laughs> a lot of feelings. People are going to have a lot of feelings. <laughs> the letterboxed crew is going to let have a lot of feelings about yeah. this movie. <laughs> uh, bad takes are I, us. I don't want to alienate the letterboxed crew. It's fine. Um but yeah, I I just wish more than anything, obviously, like, I had been building this movie up in my mind for a long time, and I've been super excited about it, um, and I was glad that I got to watch it on my couch with my roommates on a Sunday morning, but, like, seeing this movie in theaters would have been, like, one, there are some bops in this movie. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Like, the, the, op- the film opens on Charlie XCX's song, Boys. I mean, a Paris Hilton song is in this movie. Stars are blind. Like, hello, that is a fucking bop. Yeah, and then, and then when the movie ends, like, there's a song cue, like, a brilliant song cue, and my roommates and I are, like, sitting on the couch clapping along, and I'm like, you know if you would have seen that opening weekend, yeah. like, Union Square, everyone would have been popping the fuck off. Yeah, and because it, it would have been a lot of girls like us, we would have been like, oh, shit! Like, <laughs> it would have been so fun. I mean... 
Yeah, I did see this in the theater, so I can't... I mean, technically, like, a screening room. It wasn't, like, a huge theater. You know, it's clapping along in screenings. <laughs> well, yes, that, and also, like, I saw it with literally four people. I think... Yeah. Yeah, this is, like, one of those movies I wish we had seen in, like, packed Union Square Theater on opening yeah. weekend. And we with my just, girl tribe. Yes, with my with my friends and, like, a big popcorn. Because <laughs> I miss it. Shit. <laughs> Fuck. Now I'm depressed. Ugh. But, I mean... This there was a lot of stuff in this movie to unpack and to chew on, which like I'm excited to watch it again, kind of with a more critical eye, because I think I just yeah. watched it in awe. I think this will like reward multiple viewings. I think yes. this is the type of movie where like every time you watch it, you're gonna get a little something different out of it, which I love. I love that. Like that's my favorite. Thing. I love layers. I love a, I, I love, love layers. <laughs> but most importantly, Emma, what was the sexy stuff? Oh my gosh, um, Bo Burnham plays a shitbag in this movie, however, he's like six foot five, and so I think the sexy stuff of this is like Bo Burnham in real life, being a real person who seems rather nice, <laughs> and also being six five, and also being like my specific brand of white boy. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think about that. He totally is. Yeah, a lot of the guys mm-hmm. in this movie are my specific brain of white boy, which is troubling. We it's should... something I should talk in therapy about. <laughs> we're going to unpack this when we're done recording. Yes, exactly, we are. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, again, I think the casting of Bo Burnham has the, like, romantic interest slash, like, perpetrator for, mm-hmm. like, the like the catalyst for the, the story. He, like, plays a pediatrician, and he's, like, yeah, the they, nice guy. They know what they were doing. Yeah, they knew. Um, but, yeah, and I think it's awesome, especially because he himself is a very talented filmmaker. Yes. And, like, yeah, you don't see him acting in roles a lot because he is a comedian and filmmaker first and foremost. So, loved to see him here to remember that Bo Burnham is Emma's type of white boy. Um, yes, what can I say? <laughs> All right, Lily, what about you? Sexy My sexy stuff? stuff is hands down 150% Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. I think Carrie Mulligan is like, I watched Inside Lewin Davis a few weeks ago where she plays like such a firecracker role in that movie too. And it's just so refreshing to see her like pop the fuck off in this. Like, yeah. I, I believe, like, it's been noted that she's done so, so many period films. And this mm-hmm. is like her she most, has. this is her first movie in almost like 10 years that can take place in like a modern setting per se yeah and i'm like put put her in everything yeah i need more carrie mulligan and i what was the what a critic from variety a, a oh, male yes. critic a from male variety critic. had in his review of this which came out of sundance he saw it at sundance yeah and his review of this had openly so backtracking a little bit this movie is produced by lucky chap entertainment which is margot robbie's production company so margot robbie is a producer on this movie um, and arguably, like, this is also a role that you could imagine Margot Robbie in. Definitely. Um, but I think that Carrie Mulligan just lends it so much more, like, simmering, like, the, the understated anger. And I, I don't yeah. know, I just think that she knocked it out of a park, and this critic basically was openly complaining that he didn't think that she was, like, attractive enough to play yeah. this role, to play a character that was, like extracting sexual revenge on people and he, and I think he openly was like well why didn't Margot play this yeah. role if she produced this movie yeah exactly he was like one could imagine Margot Robbie playing this role even a little bit better and yeah and then Carrie Mulligan in an interview with Kyle Buchanan at the New York Times was like I never read reviews but I read this one and it fucking stuck to my ribs and that's the whole point of yeah, this movie. Yeah, the point of the movie. <laughs> the, this man clearly didn't fucking get it because like that it like Women. Women. There's so much to say. <laughs> so yeah. much to say. But I really, like, and I know that, that this year's 
awards race is going to be a total toss-up. Like, it's going to be all over the place compared to what we're used to. But I confidently would love to see her get some yeah get some loving on this role because as much as this movie like you said takes the swings and misses and is a little bit all over the place sometimes I think that she is what anchors it yeah like so flawlessly like there yeah. are so many the like dark humor that her character has in delivering things like the anger the sadness the like listlessness all of these like complicated emotions all that she is portraying at once I was really moved by it and I, she will remain hanging up on my wall <laughs> yes yeah no the movie really does hinge on her and she fucking crushed it so I would love to see her I mean not like she doesn't she is a very consistently working actor, but this, and she's been around for a long time, so it seems weird to, for me to say, I can't wait to see what she does next. Um, cause, you know, she's been around and she is around, but I'm, this makes me like so excited about to, like, what, look is, out what is her. to come. Yeah. yeah like, what, I'm like, oh, boring. hell yeah. Like, I cannot wait to see another. I actually watched a movie of hers recently that was older. Um, it's called An Education, and she plays a young girl in London who falls in love with this older guy played by one of the Skarsgård brothers whose name I cannot now remember. Um, a Skarsgård. A Skarsgård. Um, but that's really interesting because she like is a teenager who falls in love with an older man and he like very much takes advantage of her. It's interesting to think about those two movies in comparison like this movie and that movie um, with each other because two different sides of like the female experience that are that she has encapsulated so well. Yeah. Yeah, oh, she really oh. kills it. And fun fact that I didn't know until recently is that she's married to Marcus Mumford. Great. What a duo. Amazing. Like, <laughs> love to see it. Love, love to it. see famous people married together being cool. I just, <laughs> I, I enjoy that. I too one day will be a famous person married to someone cool. <laughs> yeah. Same. As- aspirational in yeah. this 2021. Exactly. Um, well, yeah, so you guys can catch Promising Young Woman in theaters wherever the, that's happening. Wear a mask, um, I don't know. Duh, but um, you can also catch it on demand. Uh, and, yeah, I know that there are going to be good things to come from this uh, in awards season coming up. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and also cannot wait to see what Emerald Fennel does next. Like, so many so many good things. Like, I'm just excited about all the different pieces. I'm just excited about women. 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 <laughs> women. Um, all right, guys, thank you so much for joining us for the 13th episode of The Last Picture Hose. My name is Emma Beatty. You can find me on Instagram at Emma Beatty. And my name is Lily Stooklin, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Stooks. Oh, yeah, I guess I'm on Twitter, yeah. too. <laughs> but um, you can also find The Last Picture Hose just on Instagram. We don't really do Twitter, um, at Last Picture Hose. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for joining. I just, I just feel, I just feel like... Women, the...